Before I begin, let me just say that what we're going to get into this today in Romans 8, and we're in a series where that finishes today um, as we've been looking, working through Romans 8, the, at the heart of it is the idea that we should have confidence in our relationship and in, our, in the salvation that we experience. But let me just say that we may, that for some of us here, you might, might think this morning, well, I don't know if this applies to me because uh, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Let me just say up front that it's incredibly easy to become a Christian. Um, sometimes it can seem scary coming into a church and thinking, I don't know these people, I don't know how they do things, I don't know. But let me just say, sometimes it's hard, it can be much, it can be much more difficult to become part of a church, and we want to make that easy, but it is incredibly easy to become a Christian. The God who made us loves us and sent his son that, that we could be forgiven. And you don't have to start living a perfect life, you don't have to start, you just need to come to him. Find his forgiveness because he's ready and willing to give it. And you know what? He'll help you change your life later on. But that's more about living in relationship with him. Okay? And so the so if this morning, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, know that you can become a Christian this morning. Just throw up a prayer to God and say, God, I believe Jesus is my Savior. Help me. Save me. And God is ready and willing to do that. Okay? So I just want to say that up front. Now, Many people think that God wants them to be continually afraid of him so as to get the best behavior from them that he can, okay? And that's like, sometimes that's kind of people's strategy for parenting, right? The, um, but, but often people have that feeling toward God. Okay, let me say it again. That people think that God wants them to be continually afraid of him so as to get the best behavior from them that he can, this is so far from the truth and what we find, so far from what we find in Scripture. God wants us to have confidence in our salvation, to be a people that know we are going to heaven and therefore are excited and will bring others with us. But often we don't live in this confidence. Um, earlier this week, when I was preparing to speak to you, I was working through this passage, and there was, I was just praying over it and found myself in a moment where I don't cry often, right? I'm not that guy, but, um, but where I found myself in tears over God's love for us. And it was just kind of a Holy Spirit moment. And, and I mention that because when I preach, right, when I share with you right now, I want to represent the text. And at the same time, some of the stuff in here is so good, I don't think my words are going to do it justice. So what I need is for a the Holy Spirit to come and do what I cannot. That's what we always need, really. But for the Holy Spirit to come and make you go and connect with what we find here in the text. Because when that happens, it's revolutionary. It's staggering. Like, check this out. There was, um, there was a time when I was, I was doing youth ministry way back in Minnesota, and there was a youth leader came to me and said, um, there's, this, this, there's, this, there's this girl, and she, basically, I, I just talked to this whole group of youth about the love of God. And this girl said um, to this youth leader, Can, would you and Sean be willing to pray with me because I know the love of God, but I don't feel it. 
right? She'd grown up in a Christian home. She'd be going to church all her life. She, she knew all the right stuff, but she didn't, she didn't feel it. And so this youth leader comes and gets me, and as, as we're, so she's basically gone and sat down in a kind of side room. It's got a little piano, and she's just kind of sitting there playing the piano, waiting for us to come and talk with her and pray with her. And as we're on our way, I'm in my head, I'm thinking, what on earth am I going to say, right? I'm just kind of thinking like, I've just told you everything I know about the love of God. I don't know how to help you connect with that. And so we're on our way. We get to the room. We open the door. And, and she looks over at us from the piano. And there's just te- tears streaming down her face. Because God, in just a moment, made real for her the love of God. We didn't have to say anything. Right? And so essentially, I'm putting that up front to say that What we need is just prayerfully for God to do what only he can do through this text. Now, some context, where we've been in Romans 8. We've talked about from like verse 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That we're not saved through through our good we are, but through what Christ has done. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit comes to encourage us, to help us. That if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, whether you realize it or not. And it's important for us to, to realize it and to lean into that. That the Holy Spirit comes to confirm that we are God's children and that we're filled with hope and longing for what's coming. And then we get here to the end of Romans chapter 8. And I feel like God wants us to have confidence in our salvation based on some things that we see here in Rome, at the end of Romans 8. And the first thing I'd want you to catch is that you have been chosen by God to be his child. Again, fairly simple, but actually profound. You have been chosen by God to be his child. Now, the, in verses 28 to 30, we get several words that, are, that, that point at some of this, uh, what I'm referring to here. We get words such as predestined, called, justified, glorified. And, the, and, and so for some, the ideas that we find here fall into a theological debate. And the debate is this. Hi, Beth. Um, does God choose some for salvation and not choose others for salvation? That's the kind of big debate that some people have, right? But I think the point that we're getting here at Romans 8 is different from that, okay? I think the point that we're getting in Ro- here in Romans 8 is that God wanted you. Essentially, what we find here is that you have been chosen to be like Christ, Verse 29 says it this way, that we're predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And in the end of verse 29, that you've been chosen to be his child. Again, end of verse 29, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so the, the point that Romans 8, I think, is trying to make right here is actually much more simple than people often make it. And I think the point is simple. You have been chosen by God to be his child, which is an incredibly profound and powerful thing. Um, let, me, let me illustrate this with a story. And this is a story from, um, that Lee, Lee Strobel tells a story. And it's, it's a story from shortly after the Korean War. And there was a, uh, basically, um, there was a girl that was born out of an affair 
and, because, and that affair was between an American soldier and a Korean lady. And so in that culture, it was, it was looked down on for people to be of mixed race. And so this girl looked different. She had lightly colored, curly hair. People um, that looked different like this were often ostracized by the community so badly that women might even kill their children. The woman tried to raise her little girl, but at seven years old, abandoned the little girl to the streets. At age nine, she was taken in by an orphanage. Now, now realize, okay, just think about this. She's nine years old. She's part of this orphanage, and she's kind of helping. And there's word came that an American couple were coming to adopt a baby boy. And so what happened is, is this girl was, was spent the day cleaning up the little boys and, and getting them ready. And then this couple came, and the girl recalled this. This is her words. It was like Goliath had come back to life. I saw the man with his huge hands lift up each and every baby. I knew he loved every one of them as if they, they were his own. I saw tears running down his face, and I knew if they could, they would have taken the whole lot home with them. He saw me out of the corner of his eye. Now let me tell you, I was nine years old, but I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me, and he began rattling away something in English, and I looked up at him. Then he took his huge hand and laid it on my face. What was he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This child is for me. You see what God does. We've got all of our sin, all of our, we're, we've failed in so many ways. We're not right. We're not, we don't, we know we're not, we feel like we're not desirable to God. And yet instead what happens is God comes to us and goes, I want this child. This child is for me. You have been chosen by God to be his child, which is a profound image, isn't it? So the first thing that I want you to see here in Romans 8, you've been chosen by God to be his child. The second thing I want you to see here that should give us confidence is that your eternity is secure in the eternal, omnipotent, all-powerful hands of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have this, you know, God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and each of them are represented in this passage, and their strength is represented on, as being on your side. So check this out. First of all, the, the strength of God the Father protects your salvation. We find in verse 30 that God has justified us. In verse 31, God is for us. Verse 33, who can bring a charge against those who God justifies? And so the, the strength of God is above all others and is an ongoing theme here. And the, the way that it's put here is that we are more than conquerors. Essentially, we are super conquerors. Like, what does it mean to be, a, be more than a conqueror? Um, we are super conquerors in the Greek because of God's strength. And so your eternity is secure, first of all, in the hands of God the Father. It's his strength that protects your salvation. But also, the passage goes on to do something unusual. It talks about how judgment is handed to God the Son. 
This is referred to in other places in Scripture as well. And the, you, you kind of, it's kind of baffling, really, that you expect God the Father to judge us at the end of time, and yet what we're told here is that judgment will be handed to God the Son. And that God the Son, Jesus, in verse 34, is the one who is interceding for us. So judgment is handed to Jesus who's interceding for us. The one who will judge you is the one who died for you. Jesus is on your side. This is kind of crazy. It's kind of like if you went for a promotion and your mom was the one making the decision. Right? Like you got the job. (laughs) Jesus, the one who died for you, is the one who will judge at the end of time. And then as well, so we get the strength of God the Father, the fact that Jesus is the one that will judge and that the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us, guides us, helps us, and confirms our salvation. Throughout Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is the one who confirms that all of this is true, helps us to know God, helps us to live for him and for him. And so your eternity is secure in the eternal, omnipotent hands of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what we're getting is reason after reason after reason that you can be confident that your salvation is secure. It's not because of your strength. It's because of God's strength. And the final thing I'd want you to see in this text is the shocking extent of God's love for you. We see the generosity and love of God shown in salvation. So here, for example, in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The generosity of God shown in salvation is coming out again and again in this text. God the Father gave up his son for you. Verse 32, he did not spare his own, again, just if I say it again, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And so we see here that God's love won't let go of us. We are held in the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And and then we get this great finale as the passage builds to this idea that Christ loves us and nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's not being too dramatic. It's showing us how strong God's love for us is. So let let me read again verses 35 to 39. It's too good not to when it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to kind of bring this to a close um, with a story I love. 
If you hear me preaching for too long, you'll probably hear the story a few times. Um, but it's a, it's a story from, um, from a book called The Whisper Test by Mary Ann Bird. And she, she writes about her, her own story, and she writes this. I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a mishappen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When classmates asked, what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we'd have a hearing test. This is like back in the day, right? Um, annually, we'd have a hear hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we'd have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? And check out what she writes right here. She writes this. I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life, Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. You see, God wants us to have confidence. You've been chosen by God to be his child. He wants you to know that you are his that your eternity is secure in the hands of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know the shocking extent of his love for us. Let's just, I just want to take a moment just in silence um, to just invite God to come and make the depth of God's scripture real to us this morning. Father, we all have things that we hide that make us feel unlovable. And you want us to know, however, that we are loved, that you know us, that you see every part of us, and that you have chosen us as your children. Father, I pray that your spirit would do in hearts what only you can do and reveal to us your care, your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.